actually gives those guys a longer period, but not always, not always. We don't want to be dogmatic about that. Because Abijah's going to say some things that are right on, but he has kind of a selective memory when it comes to their role in the whole split up of Israel. He thinks he's right. He thinks that, and that's how we are when we're on that side of things. We did it right, um, and so on. Um, he doesn't remember the part that they played in the beginning that divided the nation of Israel up. So that being said, just keep that in mind. He is a selective memory about these things. He, I don't want you to read this and say, that's not what we read last week. You're right, it isn't what we read last week. And I'd encourage you to go back and read those two chapters to find out what really happened. It's good to have that history. That's why God documents this for us. But what I do want to take away from chapter 13 is the parts that he has right. I think that's what we learn from. He is correct in most of, his, um, in most of what he says. He's, he's accurate, and we need to take that to heart. Um, there's a lot of truth here about uh, letting God fight for you, knowing that uh, the worship of God is the right side of things, the correct place to be, regardless of the popularity of that position it's the right place to be and the right thing to do Um, and god honors that and and he does in this chapter he's already stopped them from going to battle once before when it was jeroboam and rehoboam last week let's get together let's all fight these guys and god says no they're your brethren well they just have it in them to war And so this is going to start here in chapter 13, and God's going to allow it to happen. It just seems to be this constant push. We're going to to have conflict. We're not going to get together on this thing. And so God lets it happen, but he does fight on the side of Abijah, and we'll see why here. Abijah is the great-grandson of um, Absalom, if you remember that story. If you don't, I don't have time to go over it with you, but he was one of David's sons, who tried to usurp David's authority and take the throne from him. So there's kind of a, you know, there's bad blood. It doesn't mean that Abijah's the same way. Sometimes we get a bad rap for something our ancestors have done, or great-grandpa or grandpa or whatever, and we kind of carry that reputation with us. And, and, and maybe we do carry some of those characteristics, but we still don't own the sins of our fathers. We don't own the sins of our grandfathers. That's on them. We have our own sins. Abijah has his own sins. But anyway, that's who he is, and that's where he comes from, um, this line of Absalom. So he's the direct descendant of David, which means he has rights to the throne, and that's really what 13's about. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, guy in charge of the northern tribes, Abijah became king over Judah, the southern tribes. He reigned three years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Micaiah, which is spelled differently in Kings. And in Kings, it's spelled M-A-A-C-H-A-H. And in Chronicles, it's spelled differently. Same person, though, okay? Um, And his mother's name was that lady, and the daughter of uh, Uriah of Gibeah is where they're from. Now, there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah set the battle in order with an army of valiant warriors, 400,000 choice men of Jeroboam also drew up battle, uh, formation against them with 800,000 choice uh, mighty men of valor. So it's a two-to-one ratio, 800,000 versus 400,000. These battles back then were bloody and messy, and, and a lot of people died. It was always hand-to-hand combat. Um, a few arrows here and there. Once in a while, chariots would show up if Egypt was in the mix. But for the most part, it was constant hand-to-hand combat. So 
I mean, everybody's fighting for their life. There was no hiding behind anything. Um, there was no hit and run uh, like guerrilla warfare. It was always out in the middle of the open, and we just fought until the last two guys are you know, standing kind of thing. So it was a lot of death, a lot of death. Um, and so we've got 800 and, and plus 400, so you've got, uh, you've got a million two hundred thousand people ready to go to war. It's just going to be a mess. None of this is pleasing to God. God desires us to fight and to stand up for what's right, but he'd prefer we'd all just stand on his side of things. Now, he doesn't say that I'm willing to concede my point so that we can have peace. He never advocates for that. God is always right. He's always on the right side of things, and those who stand with him stand with him. And those who don't, don't. They become an enemy of God. And that's something that we need to know and and keep in mind. As we follow Jesus Christ, I want to stand with God. Well, I know that. You know, I've got a plaque in my house, in my bathroom, that says, stand with God. I'm reminded of that constantly. Well, standing up for God means more than just agreeing with him. It means actually coming alongside of him in truth, sharing the truth, but standing up. And so there's going to be a battle sometimes. You're not always going to just receive that smile and that nod from your fellow man or woman across from you. You might have some uncomfortable moments with those people, um, if not a broken relationship with them because you stood up for truth. That doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean you did it wrong. It means you stood up from the right side with God, and they chose not to stand up with God. That's just their decision. There's nothing you can do about that. What we don't want to fall into is the trap of thinking that we did it wrong to the point where we then compromise and decide to, well, our friendship, I just don't want that lost at the expense of truth. We've got to hold on to the truth. That's all there is to it. And so when Abijah stands here with 400,000 men and there's 800,000 on the other side of him, this is not a good situation for him. And so he wants to stop this. Um, and he says, Then Abijah stood on Mount uh, Zemiram, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, and said, Now he's going to go into a, he's, he's going to monologue here, you know, Hear me, Jeroboam and all Israel. Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons, by a covenant of salt? He starts off with a question for those guys. Isn't it, isn't it obvious, and shouldn't you know? Everybody in Israel knows that the, the nation of Israel, according to the covenant that David had with God, is supposed to be David's lineage. And the implication is, I'm of David's lineage, and you're not of David's lineage. So right off the bat, you're in the wrong. You need to recognize that about yourself. You've usurped the authority that God has made a covenant with David. You guys aren't even supposed to be doing this up there. Now, they don't care about what he's about to say or the question that he's asked, but he does ask the question. He does lay out the truth. And that's really all we can do with people. When it comes to Jesus Christ, all I can do is lay out the truth. Isn't it obvious that this place is created? Isn't it obvious that there's design? Isn't there obvious that there's a a battle between good and evil on this earth? Don't you know that that is wrong and that this is right? And we all instinctive, instinctively and inside of our hearts, if it's not instinctive, it's just some a, a voice inside of us saying, that's wrong and this is right. Don't you know that? Everybody knows that. 
as, as was it Portugal that just approved abortion? What was the nation that just approved it? And they all flooded the streets and were cheering and crying and weeping for joy over the fact that they've been able to now do this thing. I think it was Portugal. I don't know. I, I, it's a recent news story. It happened last week. Now, of course, they're, they're screaming for joy because they believe they've gained a right over their own personhood, is what they've decided. They have always fought that way. Um, the pro-abortion group has always fought for your own right to do what you want to do with your body. And honestly, the church absolutely agrees with that, and Christ agrees with, don't get ahead of me, a person's right to do what they choose to do. In fact, we, we live that life as Christians, constantly having that option to obey God or to not obey God. The pro-life group, which we need to understand as a church, always believes that this is a person, though, that has the same rights as the woman and cannot have those rights infringed. So we are pro-choice, but for both people. And that's what we have to understand. You cannot do that. You cannot take that person's life. That's not your life to take. Your life, whatever. I'm not here to stop you doing it. I prefer you didn't. I have lots of pamphlets and ministry and things I'd like to say to you about suicide and all these things. But as far as taking someone else's life, you're absolutely not allowed to do that. So... There is an obvious right answer, and there's an obvious wrong answer. Don't you know that in your heart? And so he starts off with that question, hear me. Two times in Matthew, and I'll read the first one too. It's in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. It's when Jesus was baptized. Jesus came up immediately from the water. His cousin John, the Baptist, had just baptized him. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighted upon him, or kind of rested over him. And suddenly a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that's God's quote at the moment for the situation. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's a stamp of approval. It is, this is the one. Now there's an assumption there that God makes, but needs to clarify later on in Matthew 17, 4 through 6. He adds something to this exact phrase. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, as they're on the Mount of Transfiguration, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, for Moses, for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. He adds that. There was an assumption at the baptism that this is my Son. Oh, then we'll hear him. Ten chapters later, God says, Maybe you didn't understand me. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And it says, and when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. I can talk and talk and talk. I can teach Bible study after Bible study. We can pray. We can be kind and loving and generous to those around us, full of grace and mercy and and all. And the idea is that we think there's this understanding (laughs) 
between us and this person we're trying to minister. Don't you see what I'm trying to do? Don't you understand that I'm trying to share the love of Christ with you? Don't you know where this comes from? Don't you know that I'm expecting you to want what I have and to come to the well that I drink from, to come to life in Jesus, to be born again? And that's not what they're getting. And sometimes we have to clarify. Sometimes we have to open our mouths and say, I want you to hear me. Your destiny right now in your current state, the life that you're living, its default destination is hell. You have separated yourself from God through your sins and your actions. That's gone Your forever with heaven is gone right now. You have no hope. There is no way you're going to heaven. It's a done deal unless you do something about it. So I want you to hear me. Jesus is God's beloved son in whom he is well pleased and he was sent to earth in the form of man to die on the cross for your sins. And you, according to God's word, need to believe that and trust in that and accept that hand, that that forgiveness that he's offered you, that way of salvation. I want you to hear that. Sometimes we have to qualify and clarify and make sure they understand these things. We have to use words. We have to use God's word. We have to give them all of it. I think that's one thing I'm learning from Jenny more and more is just to communicate better, not towards a husband-wife thing like we weren't in the past, but I've watched her communicate with other people, and she uses a lot of words. And I look at Mick, and I'm like, right? Okay, right? There hasn't been great communication between Mick and myself right there. There's a lot of ambiguity there. There's a lot of, well, I think what he wanted me to do was to go open the door for that old lady that is coming in, but I didn't say that to him. And I'm learning more and more from my wife as I watch her communicate i got to use a lot more words when I'm talking to people because my assumption is they understand what I'm getting at, and they don't. They don't make the connection like I thought they made. So I have to stop and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. I have to say those words. I want to do this, and then when that's done, we're going to move over here. And the reason we're doing that is to do it all and give it all out so there's no misunderstandings. It was clearly, clearly spoken. Abijah stood on the mountain and said, I want you to hear me. You guys are wrong right off the bat simply because not that your ideology or that your thought or your direction for the country is different from ours. You are wrong because you've usurped the authority that God has made of David. You're at odds with God is what he's trying to start off with. Even if we're wrong, this guy's saying, Abijah, We need to learn and change and be the right way, but we're the ones that have been given the authority to lead this nation. You're you're usurping that authority, and so you're off on a bad foot. Hear me. The salt covenant, that's something different that we don't hear a lot. Whenever they would offer up a sacrifice, especially a grain one, it was to be seasoned with salt. It's a preservative. It's meant to make it last. It's an enduring promise. It's an enduring thing. This is a promise from God that doesn't ever fade or go away. It's been preserved forever is the idea. That's why salt. This covenant with David is a covenant of salt. Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord. Then worthless rogues gathered to him and strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. 
when Rehoboam was young and inexperienced and could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord, which is um, in the hand of the sons of David, and you are a great multitude, and with you are the golden calves which Jeroboam made for you as gods. Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord and the sons of Aaron and the Levites and made yourselves priests like the people of other lands? So that whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may be a priest of things that are not gods. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests who minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites attend to their duties. And they burn to the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. They also set the showbread in order on the pure golden table, and the lampstand of gold with its lamps to burn to burn every evening. For we keep the command of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. Now look. So you're supposed to listen, and now you're supposed to look. God himself is with us as our head, and his priests with sounding trumpets to sound the alarm against you. O children of Israel, do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. That's his speech. I'm not worried about the two-to-one ratio. We've got 400, you've got 800. What I'm concerned with is it's so obvious, you kicked your priests out. You're worshiping golden calves. You know all this is wrong. You know you're not supposed to be doing this stuff. We've got the priests blowing trumpets. We all went to Sunday school class together or Sabbath class together, you know? We've all been in the tabernacle. We all heard our teachers train us and raise us up. Our parents have told us the stories of the exodus and the leaving of Egypt and how God did this and that for us and how we know all this stuff. We were in class together. You should know that those golden calves aren't anything. We've had to destroy a lot of golden calves in our nation over and over again, and we keep making them. Don't come and fight against us, because I want you to know this ahead of time, before we begin this battle, that you are fighting against God himself, and he's right. Now, is he right about everything in his life? No, he's not. Again, selective memory, limited history, maybe a revisionist in some ways. But he's right about this. We're as close to God as a people group as there is on the earth. This is it. Now, we're not perfect, and we're not where we ought to be, probably. He doesn't say all that. He may actually think they're right where they need to be. But for the most part, they're right or as close as anybody on earth, and God's with us, he says. You're not going to win this. There's a scripture in Isaiah, chapter 54, verse 17, and we know this one. But we need to know it in our hearts when it comes to our own battles. You're not perfect, I think we all know that about ourselves. I am not the pastor of all pastors. I mean, I mean, come on, aren't y'all lucky you're at Calvary Chapel Maryville and have me? I know. I'm not a Jack Hibbs. I know I'm not a Chuck Smith. I know that I'm not a Greg Glory. I'm not a, a, a Billy Graham or even a Franklin Graham. I'm none of those guys. I'm I'm the guy that God sent to you, so Pray, I guess. That's your problem. Ask him for an upgrade. But this is what we are, and this is who we are. And, and, and none of us here are there. 
that can't debilitate us. That can't stop us from doing what God's called us to do. Of course we fall short. The day we ever wake up and say, this is it, and we put out our degree, I have graduated from Holy Spirit School of Theology. See, I did that on purpose to show my failures and faults. Sorry, JC, I'll fix that for you, buddy. No wonder these lights don't work every time. I'm like, why don't these lights work? What's well, because you keep keep knocking them down and knocking the backs off of them. Of course we fall short. But that can't stop us from doing what God wants us to do. We can't wait for that. So in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, the prophet says to the nation of Israel, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. There's a lot going on in that verse, or those verses, a lot of things. Let's go backwards through it. The righteousness that these guys have, that's from me. It's not of their own. So whatever you come up with, you enemies of the nation of Israel, against them, please understand that's not what you're up against. You're up against my righteousness that I've given to them. Oh, that's a different, that's a different game then, isn't it? I don't have to listen to you because you're one of those Christians that are hypocrites. Probably right. I don't want to be, but I am. But that doesn't make God's word less truthful or less true. So what I told you, regardless of... You remember old radios, old transistor radios? Maybe you don't. You young kids are like, what's a transistor? I don't even know. But I had this little handheld radio with a little metal telescopic thing. Oh, that was fun to play with, and I'd inevitably break it and bend it. Sorry. It just... But I would pull this out, and it, oh, I could listen to whatever was on. You had to wait for your music to come on. Remember, waiting for the song to come on, you know? I don't have to have that anymore. Anyway, pretty cheesy speaker. Still heard the song. I don't care how cheesy of a speaker you are, cheap, rattly, whatever static's coming out of your life. You still need to have the truth coming out of your mouth, always. And it doesn't change the truth coming out of your mouth on the quality. It's still the truth. Now, I prefer a Bose system. Now, those are nice, you know. There you go. Greg, do you need a flip phone, Greg? Give me a flip phone. They make a jitterbug, you know, that's big numbers and... See, he's listening to something else while he, he's he listening to Jack Hibbs. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to hit me after church. Isaiah tells them, it's not your righteousness. The heritage of the servants is God's. You're not going to be condemned by what they say against you. And if there's a tongue wagging against you, the judgment will be on them. This is awesome protection. I really appreciate that. I love the fact that my God looks out for me like a big brother standing behind me in the schoolhouse or the school playground, and I'm about to get into a fight, and he's standing behind me flexing, you know? You fight with him, you fight with me. 
But he's a mouthy little jerk. He was picking on me in math. He's my brother. He's my son. Don't touch him. Now, it doesn't mean we get to be mouthy little brats, but for the most part, God says there's no weapon that's formed against you that'll prosper, and I can rest in that. And so that's all that this Abijah is trying to share. Please don't come against us. You're not going to win. God will fight for us, and it's not going to be pretty. But Jeroboam caused an ambush to go around behind them. So while he's monologuing, he sends some guys around behind him. Better positions. Crossfire. He sends an ambush to go around behind them. Sneaky tactic. So they were in front of Judah, and the ambush was behind them. And when Judah looked around, to their surprise, the battle line was at both front and rear, and they cried out to the Lord. They did the right thing. No weapon that's formed against you will prosper. They may send, and the battle may be coming from all directions. Anybody may feel like that at any given time in their life. We go through seasons where like, okay, you know, we make fun of the year 2020, don't we? Wow, you know, 2020 was brutal. And sometimes we have seasons in our life where it feels like, okay, nothing is going right. Everything is against me. This is insane. And they do what we would do and should do in those situations. Cry out to the Lord. They may be all around, but I'm looking up because they haven't got that covered yet. And I, God, help. Help. And the priests sounded the trumpets. And that's not for the gang. That's not for the warriors. That's not for the 400,000. That's to get help. When priests blow trumpets, when we offer up prayers, when we cry out, God hears and wants to hear, desperately wants to hear. He's waiting for us to cry out to him. Then the men of Judah gave a shout. And as the men of Judah shouted, it happened that God struck Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. So they scream out themselves at the same time, a little war cry kind of thing, but a spiritual war cry. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. Then Abijah and his people struck them with the great slaughter. So 500,000 choice men of Israel fell slain. Thus the children of Israel were subdued at that time. And the children of Judah prevailed. And the writer wants to make sure we remember why. Because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. There was a great slaughter. There was a lot of swords slinging. But don't forget, it started with the cry to the Lord. He subdued them. He beat them. And they followed up. That's all those swords were doing. And so he bookends, the writer bookends this with, they cried out to the Lord, a bunch of stuff happened, and then they won because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. Don't forget that. You know. Nobody walked home looking at their bland saying, did you, how many did you get? You know, I got five. Well, I got ten. Well, I got, there's no boasting to be had at the end of this battle. Everybody was to sit down and just say, yeah, I don't know what I was doing. It was like a paperclip out there, but it worked. God was on our side. God fought for us. God wants us to trust in him and to let him do that for us. There's three verses I want to go over. We have time. It's in Jeremiah 15, 20. And it's about this. The last one's really, really long. It's an entire chapter, but I have to give this to you because when it talks about, when we read about God fighting for us, when we encourage one another in 
I don't want to call them slogans, but sometimes we give each other slogans from Christianity. The battle's the Lord's. Okay. I mean, I know. I went to the same Sunday school class you did. You know, I know that. I know the battle's the Lord. But I need more than that, you know. And this chapter that I'm about to read at the end, this third scripture, gives us an insight into what is happening beyond our sight. It's what's going on spiritually. First, Jeremiah, he's a prophet. Chapter 15, verse 20. And I will make you, this people, a fortified bronze wall. And they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. I'm going to make you a bronze wall. You're not a bronze wall. I'm not a bronze wall, but I will make you a bronze wall. God is able to do that, and a bronze wall is impossible to fight against. What do you do with it? Deuteronomy 1.30, a promise to the nation of Israel. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. That hasn't ended, he says. Just because they got you out of Egypt with ten plagues, part of the Red Sea, gave you all that food in the middle of nowhere, I'm not done. I'm going to continue to do that. And even today, Book of Acts Church, which is continuing on today in Calvary Chapel, Maryville, and in other places, he hasn't stopped fighting for us. He hasn't let go of these promises, and I need to know that, and we need to know that. that He will fight for us if we let him. And the last one is Daniel 10. That's the chapter I warned you about. But I hope it's encouraging because we don't study those chapters a whole lot or very often. But this one chapter gives us such great insight into what's happening spiritually all around. Daniel's a real guy with real problems, far away from his country. He is in captivity. Okay, he is he's been taken to Babylon. They're there. They're not in their homeland. They're separated. He's got real problems, and he begins to mourn. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. Great. God, show me what's going to happen. Nothing Daniel can do about it. That's got to be one of the most frustrating things as a prophet. I'm letting you know what's going to happen. How do I stop it? You don't. I'm just letting you know what's going to happen. Oh, I would have almost rather not known. You know, it's like knowing when the day you're going to die. If you could know the day you're going to die and how you're going to die, would you want to know it? Well, it kind of depends. How bad is it going to hurt? Because I don't want to spend my whole life waiting for that moment. On the other hand, if I knew it was then, I could do whatever I wanted to do until let me get some things to weigh out. The prophets, Daniel, here's what's going to happen. Nothing you can do about it, just so you know. Write it down. I want them, he does that so that they know that he knows. Anyway, he's got this info. In those days, I, so Daniel's the writer, was mourning three full weeks. That's how bad the news was. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all, never took a shower, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. He's miserable. Now in the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with a gold 
of uh, Euphaz. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms like feet of burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. So big, loud, tan, fiery guy standing there. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me. For my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in deep sleep on my face, and my face to the ground. Very specific. This is happening to Daniel. To the point where it's so real, the guys around him know it's happening, and they're terrified, and they run for the hills, and he's, he's just falling down before whoever. And suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved. I love that when God throws that in there. It's one of my favorite parts of the Bible. I know that this is a lot, you know. I know that my, my appearance is, there's not anything I can do about it, you know. And I can see how it's affecting you right now, Daniel, but I want you to know something. I'm not here to terrify you. You are greatly beloved. Oh, I love that. It's so encouraging to me. And it's meant to be. He does the same thing for John when he writes the book of Revelation. He's he's terrified on his knees and reaches down and touches it with his right hand. He says, no, you're beloved, John. Really glad I'm beloved (laughs) and not an enemy, you know. You're beloved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. I'm a messenger from God sent to you. While he was speaking these words to me, I, I, I stood trembling. So I got up. And then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand that prophecy you got, that that horrible vision you got for me, and you tried to understand it, I was immediately dispatched to help you understand that. Your words were heard. um, The first day your heart understood, and to humble yourself before God, you did all those things. Your words were heard. I heard your prayer, and I have come because of your words. Because of your prayers, because of you crying out to God, I was sent. But it took three weeks, 21 days, for this incredible being to show up. Why? Thought it was kind of instant. Thought it was kind of, because there's a lot going on. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Who's that? A real king? No, because this is spiritual warfare going on. He's talking about something else. He's talking about another angel. He's talking about the prince of Persia fought him and withheld him. Didn't want him to go get this message to Daniel. Was actually stopping and preventing the messenger of God to get to this guy to tell him what was going on. So he didn't have to suffer through. There's a battle for 21 days. I can go through a lot of gymnastics in my mind in 21 days. Maybe God doesn't want to hear me. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe maybe I'm not praying right. Maybe this is all I get. All these things running through his mind have got to be something that would go through my mind. 
And that that was never God's heart. God's heart was, oh, go, go tell Daniel what's going on. And it took him 21 days to get there after he battled this guy. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So he sent reinforcements. Michael the archangel came to fight this prince of Persia to release Gabriel, this other angel, to go give the message. This happens. This is real. This is going on all the time. This isn't mythology. This is how prayer life works. This is how my relationship with God works. This is how big a war it is. It's not just us versus China or Russia or whatever it is that we think is going on. The battles that we fight down here on earth between you know each other as people, it's metaphor. It's all it is. There's a much bigger spiritual battle going on for the souls of men all the time. And the saints are praying, and those who are opposed to God are also doing their best, you know. And this is happening. And we get to see this here. Thank you for writing this down, because if this chapter wasn't here, this Daniel 10, we wouldn't know about this stuff. So Michael shows up on the chief priest to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now there's kings. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. It's not immediate, Daniel. This is going to happen thousands of years later. I just wanted you to know that. Daniel's like, oh, I thought this was like tomorrow. No, 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 no. no. And when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. It's a good response. And suddenly one having the likeness of the Son of Man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have, re- I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you? My Lord, for, for as for me, no strength remains in me, nor is any breath left in me. I'm, I'm spent, man. It's like asking one of those guys at the Boston Marathon as they come stumbling across the line, they're all cramped up, and they've you know, wet themselves several times on the run. And you say, how do you feel? You know, I'll talk to you later. Okay. That's how he is. He's just for three weeks. He hasn't eaten. He's been sick, sad, no shower. He is done, you know, sleeplessness. I can't talk to you right now. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he says, Oh man, greatly beloved, there it is again. Fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. Angel doesn't get it. Get up, you're okay. Shake it off. Cowboy up. Let's go, you know. So when he spoke to me, now he's not being insensitive. Something really happened when he touched him. When he spoke to me, um, let's see, he strengthened me, or I was strengthened. And said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. But something happened to him there in verse 19. He touched him and told him and encouraged him, and he got strengthened. And then he said, do you not know that I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. And he goes on in chapter 11 to describe an amazing prophecy. We don't want to get into that. That's a whole Bible study in and of itself. But you got some really good insight in there. What's happening? You know, you may be pressed in on every side. It may feel like this is a serious battle. And I've been praying a long time for God to get me out of that. Well, keep praying. 
Keep going. God's heard you. God has dispatched. God has got help on its way. God is doing what he can do. And he's fighting and there's things going on. I mean, literally, this guy breaks away from the fight and says, I'm coming. Don't think that I didn't hear you. The first day you prayed, I was on my way, but we've been going over this thing with this prince of Persia for 21 days. and Michael was sent, and he's fighting him, but i got to go back and help. That's literally what just happened. We haven't forgotten you. Get up, you're okay. You know, wow. We're not done. You got him, Michael? i got to go tell Daniel what's going on. Yeah, you, I got him. I got, you know, I got him. That's a crazy We don't know, but we do. And we can't walk away from this morning not knowing that this is happening all around us all the time. This isn't figurative. This isn't some sort of, you know, oh, yeah, I can see the metaphor. Oh, yeah, yeah, evil. No, it's happening. And we are to be warriors and to be battling. And honestly, when it says the battle is not ours, it's the Lord's, you can see why he says that. He's not trying to encourage us, yeah, you yeah, you let me handle this. No, he's saying you literally can't do this. You can't touch these things. You can't stop this. The only thing and the only person that can stop this is me. It's cute that you want to fight with your little rattle and your pacifier down there. But it's not going to happen. This is where the big boys fight, and you can't do it. The battle truly is the Lord's. So you pray. And you hold fast, and I want you to know these things, that I'm coming, and that you're greatly beloved. But right now, we've got our hands full up here, and we're fighting. Now, Jesus is not in competition with these guys, don't get me wrong. But when it comes to Gabriel and Michael, they are in competition with these guys, and they're doing war. We need to know that. We need to walk around differently down here. Know that that's happening all the time, because I can get lulled into how much snow did you get, you know? Who cares? I mean, I'm I'm glad you guys got three inches and we didn't, but it's really inconsequential compared to what's going on in the supernatural, what's happening outside of our realm, what's going on beyond in the other dimensions. It's happening. We need to know that. Anyway, you guys lost, Abijah says, because we relied on God. We relied on God. And Abijah pursued them. He pursued Jer- Jeroboam and took cities from him, Bethel and its villages, uh, Jeshana and its villages, Ephraim uh, with its villages. So Jeroboam did not recover strength again in the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him and he died out. But Abijah grew mighty, married 14 wives, begot 22 sons and 16 daughters. Again, more of the, oh, really? That's the kind of guy he was? Yep. Now, he doesn't have 700 wives, like Solomon. He's only got, how many did we say? Doesn't matter. He significantly cut down on the amount of wives. Still not there, though, is he? You know? And he's got 22 sons and 16 daughters. Now, the rest of the acts of Abijah, his ways and his sayings, are written in the annals of the prophet Edo, which we don't have that book, so we don't know. Well, we know is what God's given us here. And that's where we close this morning. Be encouraged. Hope you are. Pray. The battle's raging, and truly the battle is the Lord's, and now we know why we say that, because truly we can't do it, but I can pray. 
and I can rely, and I can cry out. It sounds like about the worst thing a man would want to do. Now, I could pray, and I can cry out and ask for help, and, you know, that's not in us, but it needs to be. When it comes to this kind of battle, we really have to cry out and let God do it for us. We really have to bring in the big guns. We have to let that armament show up and do its thing, you know. It's like calling down, it's calling in fire, you know. We're surrounded, danger close. Let it, let it rain down. Whatever you got, bring it, you know. And that's how we pray. Let's, let's pray now. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for chapter 13. We pray that you'd help us to hold it in our hearts and to know this about you. And the one thing that was supposed to be learned was that you fight for us, that you're for us, you're not against us. We need to be on your team. And when we rely on you, you do the battle for us. That there is a spiritual warfare going on, that we are greatly beloved, that you're not here to terrify us, that you are here to encourage us. And our job and mission is to cry out to you, to rely on you, to let you do what you do and can only you can do. And so we settled that in our hearts this morning. There is a battle raging, but we have very little effect on it other than crying out to the God we serve and to the one we love. And you alone we worship. And so I pray that, as J.C. said, that let, let that be the cry of our heart, that that would never change, that our first love would always be you, Jesus, that our go-to for help or uh, battle or for, or for encouragement or, or strengthening would always be you and never, never any other source. I pray that you be with these folks today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, I'll be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great rest of the week.